three should be a song book near you, maybe underneath one of the seats. Page number 83. Hark the herald sing, glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. much again for this uh, Christmas season as we uh, celebrate, Lord, that you're sending your, your only son to this earth um, to live a perfect life, Lord, and to die on the cross to take the penalty for all mankind upon himself and be judged for us. Lord, I thank you so much for sending him. Thank you for the grace and the love that you have shown to us. And Lord, I pray that you bless this service, bless the cantata. I pray that it uh, work on hearts as you see fit, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. 
I am Pastor McGovern. Welcome to the Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage. It is good to see everyone out here today. Visitors, we're so glad you came. This is one of our favorite services every year. We start working for this service months before this with this Christmas cantata. I believe you're really going to enjoy it. It has such a great message. Of all the cantatas we've done since I've been here, now I've been pastor here now for six years, this is the, the sixth one that we have now put on. And the message of this one is by far, I think, my favorite, and I've enjoyed every single one of them. And so we're glad that you're here. We want to invite you back, of course. Please come to any of our services, and I think you'll enjoy them. God's Word really does have the answer for the day that we're in. Even tonight, I'm doing a special Christmas message at 5 p.m. I do this one every year. Our church really enjoys it. I teach on why December 25th. And most people have no idea how that date came about. And so tonight I go over that. What's up with the date December 25th? Because we really don't know when Christ was born, but it's fascinating. I basically make a case for that date, um, why it's there. So it's very interesting, and we want to invite you back for that uh, this evening as well as five. But we really hope you enjoy the cantata. It has a great message to it. Before we get started, I will introduce the, the, the man that I asked directed this year, and that is Rob Wright. He'll come up and say a few words about it, and then we'll begin. Thank you, Pastor. Again, to kind of echo his words, thank you for being with us. If you're a visitor for the first time, first time in a long time, thank you for gracing us with your presence. This is where we are truly honored to even have you here. This cantata this year is a little bit different. It's off the vein of most cantatas. Uh, most of the time you've got a hospital room with a, a dying body, right? You know, and everybody's crying and laughing part of the time. This one's a little bit different. It's a total twist. And I agree with Pastor. It is, it's unique, and I think you're going to find it unique. There's nothing stellar, there's, no, there's not really any of those, oh my gosh, oh, you know, gotcha moments, but it all kind of works collectively together if you pay attention to it to really draw a neat message that is really unique to cantatas. What's going to happen here, the shades are now down, the house lights are going to come down, and what's going to happen is the outside foyer lights are going to go down also. This cantata starts and ends with choir specials. Okay, there's a lot of beautiful music throughout that totally complements each scene. What just transpired before the song that song dovetails perfectly with the message of that particular phase of the cantata. But you'll see low lighting in here, which is used to basically draw your attention to conversations that are taking place at that time. Uh, it's to basically isolate that conversation, isolate your attention to it so you can fully get it. And I would encourage you at the end, at the end of the cantata, um, the choir will be done with Joy to the World, their rendition of it. The house lights will come up at that moment, and this thing runs for about 45 minutes thereabouts. So hang with us through this thing. At the conclusion of that, when the house lights come, comes over, that doesn't mean, you know, we're taking an admission, let's go get popcorn. That means we're simply going to, for the past, going to bring up the podium set up here, and Pastor McGovern has got a wonderful, wonderful message he wants to lend right at the right at the end of that and if i can give an extra plug for what he was just talking about that 25th of christmas or 25th of december christmas thing that is one of the most fascinating messages you're ever going to send under it it truly if you can pay attention to it and string it all together with a fine thread and a needle it, it makes sense it's it's nothing far-fetched it's no grasping you know trying to lend reality to something it's just an idea truly does a remarkable job. He's brought that several times. So I would encourage you, definitely come back for that. I think it'll be a blessing and encouragement and very interesting to you also. So with that, we'll bring down the house lights and enjoy, if you will, our 2021 presentation of A Son is Given. There's a dual meaning to it. So pay attention and enjoy.
said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. for the holiday. Mr. Covey, who do we have next? Next, we have a defendant charged with a DUI and with fleeing the scene of the accident. Well, hello. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, sir. Merry Christmas to you, too, Your Honor. I thought this was going to be a quick case, but here is a noble public defender to disabuse me of that belief. I'm so sorry, Your Honor. If you could just grant me a brief extension to speak with my client, we just haven't had enough time to prepare. Come on, Sarah. Don't drag this out any longer. It's an open and shut case. Why are we stalling? This is anything but open and shut, Ryan. 
Mrs. Novak, I could give you a very brief continuance, but anything longer than an hour or so, and your client will have to spend Christmas back in his cell. It will just take a few minutes, Your Honor. We'll confer with your client, Mrs. Novak, and we'll continue in 45 minutes. Thank you, Your Honor. Slouching in the corner and hiding your face from the judge is very suspicious behavior. I can't face him again. Who? Judge Hammond? Do you know him? I can't face him again. Why? Are you worried you can't get a free, fair trial? I mean, we can always ask the judge to recuse himself. It doesn't matter. Listen, I can't help you if you don't work with me. Fine. Look, I don't have a lot of time. Just explain to me what happened. It's like I told you on the phone. I fell asleep at the wheel. Simple as that. It was an accident. And you weren't under the influence of alcohol? No. I told the cop that and the other attorney. I don't know why you keep asking me that. Probably because of your past DUI. That was almost 20 years ago. So that's what this is really about. Finally going to stick it to me. I knew I shouldn't have come back here. Come back? Do you live here? No. I got out of this town as soon as I could and haven't been back since. Why were you coming back last night? I came to see my mom. She's dying of cancer. I had to come back. Oh, I'm sorry. It happens. Okay, just to clarify, you were driving to your mother's house at 2 a.m. Yes. I had worked all day 
and got off late. I drove straight through the night to get here. I came off the exit and I started nodding off. I must have been more tired than I thought I was. I was almost there when I think I just nodded for a second. And that's when you hit the parked car and the courthouse sign. What's the point of this? Maybe you should take this more seriously. This would be your second DUI. The prosecutor will want to lock you up for 30 days minimum. That's ridiculous. I wasn't drinking. I've been sober for two years. Then how do you explain fleeing the scene? I didn't flee the scene. Yes, you did. No, I was cold and tired. I had hit my head, and I thought if I could just get home, then I would report it. You still fled the scene of an accident. All I hit was a parked car. That doesn't matter. Well, it should. I didn't do anything wrong. You've got nothing on me. Mr. Friedman, I am your attorney. I am here to defend you, and you're not making this any easier for any of us by being so belligerent. It doesn't matter. He's going to throw the book at me anyway. The judge? Craig, if there's something you need to say, you need to just say it. It doesn't matter. It's hopeless. Sorry for the inconvenience, Mr. Covey. No problem, Judge. They sure are taking their dear, sweet time. I'm just sorry to see the Public Defender's Office abuse your kindness again. It's fine. We want to ensure everyone receives fair representation. Trust me, Your Honor. At this stage, they're always guilty. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in this situation. That's quite a jaded view of our justice system. I'm just saying, you can't be in my line of work this long and not know that these creeps are all the same. I should remind you that you're talking about a human being. Yes, and it's basic human nature. A criminal needs to be punished. If you let him off, he just turns back to his old ways. People don't change. I appreciate your strong sense of justice, Mr. Covey, but you seem to be forgetting the place of mercy Forgiveness, rehabilitation, not to mention that whole pesky concept of innocent until proven guilty. Uh, you're changing the subject. No. I would simply remind you that no one is perfect. And but for the grace of God, any of us could fall into all sorts of evil. All right, Judge. I know you're a Sunday school teacher. But this ain't a Sunday school lesson. And this isn't a little sin problem or a minor indiscretion. I know you should forgive mistakes, but not really bad actions, not when they cause harm. Mr. Covey, we are all sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. We are all deserving of judgment. Now who's the jaded pessimist? That's an awfully bleak outlook for Christmas Eve. It would be if it were the end of the story, but it's only the beginning. Christmas reminds the sinner that fear and despair can give way to joy. Joy of earth, the Savior's birth, to fall in man is granted. 
Mr. Friedman, is it true that you want to stand trial before me and waive your right to a jury trial? Yes. Court will take a brief recess. Okay, Craig. Spill, what's going on? How in the world do you know Judge Hammond? I caused his son's death. You what? I caused his son's death. And you just threw yourself at his mercy? What have you done? Seventeenth birthday, I went to a party with some friends. Someone showed up with alcohol. Everyone pressured me to drink. It was my birthday, after all. You don't have to explain it to me. You're my counselor, right? My advocate. Might as well know who you're advocating for. Craig. I don't even know how many drinks I had. It didn't seem like that many. Suddenly, I realized how late it was, and my mom was going to be suspicious. I grabbed my keys and left. 
Someone tried to stop me, but I knew I could get home. I knew I'd be fine. I drove home. I was drunk. But I also knew I could do it. I was fine. I was always fine. I don't even remember how it happened. But I swerved. I didn't see him. He was out jogging, practicing for a track meet. I didn't see him. It was an accident. Of course it was. It wasn't my fault. Wait, what am I saying? Of course it was my fault. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, too. My life ended that night. Craig, I don't begin to assume that I know exactly what you're going through, but didn't you already pay the penalty for that? Didn't you serve a sentence? Manslaughter. DUI manslaughter. Such an awful word. Manslaughter. I was convicted and sentenced to two years and released, for early, released early for good behavior, probably because of my age. Then you can find solace in the fact that justice was served. Who's justice? Jason's still dead. I still killed him. It didn't, my punishment is not going to bring him back. It's not going to wipe away my guilt. Today I couldn't even look at the judge in the face. Not one time. Listen, you have to try to move on and live a normal life. When you cause someone's death, you don't get to live a normal life. Have you tried talking to a counselor or maybe someone at a church? Nobody wants me in church. Come on, nobody wants me in heaven. I don't deserve heaven and you all know it. I don't think any of us get to decide who deserves heaven. I'm sorry, Your Honor, we're ready. It's okay. I didn't mean to eavesdrop there, but... I wasn't expecting a discussion on heaven, but I guess what with the season and all. I don't understand. I think he means Christmas. Precisely, Sarah. You do know that Christmas is the time when Jesus came to earth to open heaven for all mankind. You would know, sir, as the resident Sunday school teacher. I'm so sorry. Thank you for your patience. We're ready to proceed. Very well. Opened heaven to man? How would he do that? Born in poverty's embrace, born in rumors called disgrace, born the prince so pure and chaste, Alleluia, born of God, sent to comfort, sent to praise. And to wipe our tears away, and to turn our night to day, Alleluia, sent of God, Alleluia, Alleluia, God has opened heaven to man, Alleluia. Hallelujah. 
vividly imagined. Watch the video. In fact, I would assert that my client did not intend to flee the scene at all. He was disoriented, tired, and seeking shelter from the cold. He was also in desperate, he was also desperate to see his mother, who he was under the influence, was going to die at any moment. He did nothing wrong. My client fell asleep at the wheel and there is absolutely no evidence to say that he was under the influence of any substance whatsoever. Your Honor, as I stated previously, there's plenty of evidence this was a DUI. Go back to the flight, just go back to the flight. Ryan, you are like a broken record. The skid marks, the extent of the damage, the lateness of the hour, and most importantly, the fact that he fled the scene. Why else would he flee the scene? Your Honor! Because he was drunk and he didn't want to get caught. You can't take a breathalyzer when you're nowhere to be found. It's so convenient. Your Honor, I have so many objections, I don't even know where to start. If both of you are quite finished with your theatrical performances, I believe we can bring this case to a close. At this point, I've heard from both of you as well as from the defendant himself, and we seem to be descending into a cycle of squabbling. I've heard your closings, and I'm ready to rule. 
Look, whatever happens, we can always appeal. No. Fate brought me here. I deserve what's coming. Why resist? Will the defendant, Craig Friedman, please rise? After hearing all the arguments, weighing the facts, viewing the closed-circuit TV footage, and hearing your testimony, I find as follows. To the charge of driving under the influence, I find the defendant not guilty. Yes! What? And to the charges of fleeing the scene of an accident, I find the defendant guilty. In determining the sentence for this crime, it is noted that the defendant has a criminal record, including a previous, previous DUI manslaughter, of which I am painfully familiar. Due to the extent of the damages caused to the courthouse property and the suspicious circumstances of your flight, I sentence you to the maximum fine allowable, $4,000. It's okay, Craig. I'm sure we can come up with that money somewhere. It's a big win. What's the judge doing? I don't know. Mr. Kobe, here is the amount that Craig owes paid in full. And if there are any other damages not covered by his insurance, I will pay those as well. But, Your Honor... Take it to the secretary and have her do the proper paperwork. I would appreciate it. Yes. Judge Hammond, wait. You can't do this. Go home, Craig. Be with your mother. You're free. But how could you do this? I forgive you, Craig, and it's about time you accept my forgiveness. But much more than that, you need to accept God's forgiveness. I know you've heard this before from your mother, and you've heard it at church, Craig, but you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. But how can he really forgive me? After all the pain I've caused, the life I've wasted, you of all people know that I can't be saved. You're wrong, Craig. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He's the only one that can forgive you, and he's waiting right now for you. Can it be true? Can it be that a man who died two thousand years ago is what our world so broken needs today? Can it be that he truly is the only Son of God who healed the sick and even raised the dead? Can it be that he's living today? Can it be that he conquered the grave? Can it be that a soul who will call on his name shall be free? Can it be? Can it be that he thought of me while hanging on the tree? 
and bore the wrath for all my sin and shame. Can it be His amazing love, His mercy full and free? Unite for me the one who caused his pain. Can it be that he's living today? Can it be that he conquered the grave? Can it be that a soul who will call on his name shall be free? Can it be? Can it be that my name is written down in heaven above, and he's built for me a mansion in the sky? Can it be that my tongue can sing the song of the redeemed, and I boldly can approach the throne on high? Can it be that he's living today? Can it be that he conquered the grave? Can it be that a soul who will call on his name shall be free? Can it be? Can it be? Can it be? Can it be? Yes, it can be, Craig. God's forgiveness is possible because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Craig, just like I paid your debt today in full, Jesus paid your debt on the cross. He took all of your sin upon himself, just as if he was the guilty one. He was judged in your place. The penalty has been paid in full. You see, the wages of sin is death. But because Jesus is God, death could not hold him. And Jesus arose from the dead three days later. I understand. He took my place. He paid my penalty like you did. Yes, Craig, he did. What do I do? The Bible says to repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. So, Craig, you need to come to Christ, put your faith in him and only him for salvation. You can bow your head and pray right now. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and don't deserve your forgiveness. I thank you for sending your son to die for me. I believe he died and rose again. Please forgive me. I place my faith in Christ as my Savior. Help me, Lord, to follow you. Amen. There's a new name written down in glory. Thank you, Judge. Thank you for forgiving me and showing me Christ's forgiveness. I have suffered every night with the guilt over the death of your son. You have both my forgiveness and God's forgiveness. It is through God's grace that I can forgive you for what happened. I know that God has forgiven me. How could I not forgive you? I feel so much better. Like a weight's been lifted. I've not felt like this since 
before your son's death. Yes, God's forgiveness and his justification both are very powerful. Justification? Yes, Craig. The moment you, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he justified you. He made you righteous before him. Justified, just as if you'd never sinned. You're free to go. Oh! 
Your Honor. May we speak for a minute? Sure. That scene in there was truly touching. But I... Don't, don't hold this against me, please. But I just don't understand how you could forgive him so quickly, so easily. It was not quick or easy. Sir, that was your perfect chance to avenge your son's death. He didn't even serve his full sentence. I just don't understand that kind of forgiveness. It would seem to me like you would want justice. Justice, Mr. Covey, I love justice. I seek justice. My hope is eternal justice, but not my justice and not yours. I apologize, Your Honor. I see where you're going. You mean God's justice. Exactly. What is justice without mercy, and what is mercy without justice? But your son. Yes, Ryan. I lost my son, my only child. I doubt that pain will ever go away. But today I couldn't stop thinking about another father who lost his only son. And that perfect, innocent son died for the very men who get, caused his pain. I'm one of those guilty men, Ryan, and so are you. You asked me how I could forgive. It's simple, easy. I can forgive because I am forgiven. In fact, I must forgive because I'm forgiven. And through forgiveness comes freedom, peace, and joy inexpressible. Oh, 
Hey, man, I'm going to read from two different places in Scripture. Luke chapter, Matthew chapter 2, primarily Luke chapter 2, and then just a couple of verses in Matthew that I want to point out. <clears throat> just a tremendous message that really does tie in. That cantata really teaches us exactly why Christ was born 2,000 years ago. It demonstrates why Christmas is so important. Luke chapter 2, in the very first verse, the Bible says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. Notice God's response to this tremendous night, one of the most important days in all of human history. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord uh, 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 shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. This includes us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now let me drop down here. It says in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which, uh, which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that, that he had heard and seen. And it was told unto them. I'm going to read just a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 2 says this. When Herod, the king, had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. This is when some wise men from the east had come and said, Hey, we heard a king was born. Where is he? Let me drop down now to the, these wise men coming before Christ that had traveled a great distance. Verse 9 says, When they heard the king, they departed. And though the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they that were coming to the house saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, bless the next few minutes. 
Lord, please help me to stay true to your word. Lord, help me to present your gospel clearly. Please control what I say and how I say it. Please work on hearts. Lord, may you be glorified and honored. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has truly never been converted, Lord, I pray it would be so clear what you've done for us. Please bless and work. I pray that many would come to that place of repentance and faith in Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Christmas is, is the time of year that, that I love. There's not too many people that don't love this time of year, Christmas. I remember I'd spent 12 years in New Guinea as a missionary, going back from 2000, 2001 and well, 2003, arriving there all the way up until 2015. And even there in the heat of New Guinea, we, we were hot every single day. It would be, be 95 to 105, 365 days a year on the particular island that we were on. And Christmas time was always so exciting for us. Uh, my kids were raised there. And due to the remoteness that we were located, it was difficult when it came to being able to get the presents for our kids. My mom was key to that, who lives in Florida. So we would have things sent to her, and, and she, would, she would just load us up, and she'd have to get this stuff mailed out by usually in mid-October to the end of October. It took at least four weeks for us to get mail, usually around five or six weeks. And so we would only travel out the beginning of the month for a supply run. And so we'd have to travel out to even get our mail. And so we, travel, we would travel up the 1st of December, the first Monday of December. All the kids knew that's when the boxes should be there. And after the years we were there, uh, the postman there knew as well. They would even call us, the boxes are coming in. And, and my, my, my mother would spend more sending the boxes than what it, what it cost anything that was in those boxes. It was very expensive. And so we would arrive up there. The kids would be so excited to see the boxes. And then we would return home. And, and my wife and I would, would head into the bedroom with all the boxes. And the kids would wait outside. And, and it became a tradition. And so we would hand out the gifts who it was for. They're all wrapped up. And then they would go and put them underneath the tree. And then I'd watch. After that day took place, every single day, those kids would take those out and they'd sort them all. Who had the most? You know, who had the biggest ones? Every day they'd go through, they'd sit down and sort them, and then they'd put them, you know, all back underneath the tree. They'd do that every single day. And then, of course, the highlight being when, of course, Christmas morning finally came. And, and we would sit down, and, and they always had to wait on me. I, I, I would teach them patience. And uh, because they're, they're still all in their PJs. Everybody is except for me. I will, I'll, I'll get ready first. I'll shower. I'll be dressed. And they are just waiting for me to come. And then I, would, I, then I would come into the room and, and we would read in Luke chapter 2. Then once we would read, we would pray, and then it would begin. And I would be so excited just to watch as they would open them. And you parents know how it is. You hardly open up anything you've got. You just want to see the look on their face as they go through it. It really is an exciting time. Did you ever stop to think why this holiday is so different? Why it's so important? Why it's so special. Why this holiday... I, I really, think about it. Think about what we just read in Luke 2 and Matthew chapter 2. I mean, the day that Christ was born, the Lord went to these shepherds that were in the field, literally allowing them a glimpse into heaven itself, hearing the choir of heaven proclaiming His birth. I mean, could you just imagine being... That took place. It was so special that God said, listen, I am announcing this. 
And he chose shepherds. That's a whole message in itself, by the way. He didn't choose the religious elite. Think of the Magi, Gentiles, if you will, like most of us that are in this room. That he let know, listen, a king is born. Now these wise men, there's, I don't have time to get in, that's not the message. I, I have several just on the wise men. They were the king makers of their day. That's what they were. And they traveled, they get all the way into Jerusalem. And they, they, they let Herod know, listen, we heard there's a king born. And of course, he's stunned. What? But anyhow, they get the religious scholars of, uh, of Israel together, and they said, well, yes, it is true. We do have a Messiah to come, a king that will be born, and he'll be born in Bethlehem. Anyhow, they are directed there. God directs them right to where Christ is. And the kingmakers of their day, when they see this child, know what they do? They bow down and worship him. Just like that. There's something different about this day. We see how God responded. Really, we can even see how the secular world responds to this day. And that's a huge flag of how important it is. See, well, what do you mean? There's not another holiday attack like Christmas. There isn't. Of how the meaning tries to get changed and swayed from what it is. I mean, we have people that won't even say the words, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays is what it's become. Or they change the meaning to, it's just about a time of family and friendship and giving. All those things are great things. All those things take place at Christmas time. But none of those things are what the day is about. The meaning behind it and why it's so important gets attacked because of the importance of the message. Listen, this battle's been taking place for 6,000 years. Do you know, 6,000 years ago, Christ promised Christmas would come in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He did. It, it tells us in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, and I preached on this at our, at our adult Christmas party uh, just a, a week or two ago, whenever we had that. How, how the Bible says, when the fullness of time uh, 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 had arrived there, God sent forth His Son. When that day came, in other words, think about this, God Almighty, in His sovereignty, was orchestrating all the events that when it was time for His arrival, He was there. And I talked about what happened the 400 years prior to Christ's arrival. The rise of Alexander the Great de defeating the Persians. How that gave us this Hellenistic, the Greek culture. What was important about that? It gave the Greek language. 12% of our English language is Greek. It would be the language of the New Testament. One of the most expressive languages the earth has ever known. And then the Romans would come. God is in control of everything. The Romans become the dominant world empire. Well, what did they do? We have Hellenism installed now, that Greek culture with the language. We have a unifying language hitting throughout the known world. Rome comes, and they established roadways. They put in trade routes. Their engineers were so good, unlike any other time prior to them in history. Some of the roads they established are still used to this day. What was important about that? Because God knew that after his son came, the word would have to travel. It has to get out. There's something different. This, this holiday is clearly the most important. The fact is, we need Christmas. 
In the cantata, we do see why it's so important. And I'm going to cover this briefly in about 10-15 minutes. What we see when it comes to Christmas, the action of that day, the anticipation that that day provides, and the acquittal that it makes possible. So first, what exactly happened? The action of that day. What happened that first Christmas day? What made it so special? 2,000 years ago, in a very small village, basically, called Bethlehem. The population at the time Christ was born was approximately about 900 people. Not a whole lot of people in it. It was a small town. It was full. It makes sense. The inn was full. There was a, there was a, a Roman order this taxation to take place. A census went with it. There are a lot of people traveling under government orders. Joseph and Mary are part of that. And in that night... Jesus Christ was born. This was God in the flesh. God becoming man. It wasn't like any other birth. This was a virgin birth. He didn't have a human father. This was God becoming man. You have to understand, this day has to happen. It has to happen. Or we have, as we're going to see, no hope. But what that day provides us is anticipation. It provides us hope. Why, why, does, why does his birth give us hope? Why does Christmas give us hope? You see, sometimes we fail to realize. This is, listen, the spiritual warfare that takes place is genuine and just real. One of the devil's master ways at, at keeping us blinded, if you will, is he never wants you to realize your true condition. I was back in New Guinea visiting the works there a couple of years ago. And I was leaving. I'd been there just a couple of weeks and coming back to the States. And I was on the little island we're on called New Ireland. And we were taking off that morning about 6 in the morning. Little did I know, as that plane started barreling down the runway, that we were in serious trouble. There was a fire above the cockpit. I didn't even recognize it until we got into the air. And I noticed the plane struggling to gain altitude. Now, during this time, I had no clue as to the perilous situation that we were in. But it was still real and genuine. It wasn't until I saw the smoke flying from the cockpit that I realized we're in trouble. It's so true of so many. You fail to miss the hope that Christmas gives you because you don't realize the perilous condition that you are in. Unlike any holiday we have, Unlike any other day in the history of the world, it's the foundation that Christmas gives that provides hope. An anticipation that we have a means of salvation. Salvation from what? You see, one day, it will be you before a judge. It's going to be you. The Bible says it is appointed a man once to die. Now listen to this. We all know that. But it says, but after this, the judgment. The judgment. One day you will stand before Almighty God. Listen to me, this isn't a fairy tale. Look around you at creation. You think this just happens to be that there is no God? Please. If you found this watch on the side of the road, you would not, the first thing you would know when you found it was you would realize there's a maker. It's an order. It's organized. Clearly there's a creator. Look around you. Look at the order. 
all of creation screams, Creator. Did you know that God in His Word tells us the reason why He made it so incredible is so you'll have that exact thought. That when you stand at an ocean for the first time and you're just in awe, why does it cause that emotion? So you'll begin to wonder, there's something here. You think that was an accident, the result of an explosion? Please! When you see the mountains here in Alaska, or my favorite, absolute favorite since I've been a boy, the stars at night. The wonder. The size. This is not a fairy tale. One day you will die and stand before Almighty God. That day is coming. And it's because of that that we needed hope. Christ was born to provide a hope. As we read in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, it was a Savior that was born. We're not talking a Savior from the Roman government. We're not talking a Savior from our present condition in this world. We're talking a Savior from that day of judgment. We need one. Because we will stand before God, and the fact is we are all guilty. We need an acquittal. That's why Christ came. That's why he was here. Not only does Christmas give us hope, but it provides grace in that an acquittal is now made possible. Without Christmas happening, we have no hope of an acquittal before the judge. None. It won't happen. Within the cantata, the judge really did demonstrate incredible grace. I, I, I mean, the, the defendant being responsible for his son's death through his careless, sinful actions. His only child was killed. And then for him to impose the maximum fine and then pay it. That's what the cross of Christ is all about. Now get this. His fine was only $4,000. The fact is, he could have come up with that money. Your debt before God because of your sin, you could never repay. It's not possible. God knew that. Please listen to this. Don't miss this. This is why Christ came 2,000 years ago. This is why those angels were proclaiming, A Savior is born. And he said, This shall be to all people. Oh, God became a man. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, walked on this earth for 30-some years. Listen to me. He is the only person, the only man who's ever walked on this earth that was perfect and without sin. That's not you and that's not me. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a reality. He's the only one, as a man, who has lived the perfect life. So what does that mean? Think about this now. Follow me. People have heard Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, but they're clueless as to how that helps them today. I'm going to show you. Jesus Christ, as a man, is the only person in all of human history that could stand at the judgment day And the Father can say this, you 
are innocent. I find no fault. You're perfect. Listen to me. Perfection is God's requirement. He knows none of us are perfect. He understands that this is why he sent his son. Jesus Christ lived that perfect life for you. When he went to the cross, the Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, what happened. Listen to this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. The pronouns in there are this. God the Father hath made the Son to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The verse might sound complicated, but it's not. It teaches exactly what Christ did to save us. When he went to the cross, you have his perfect life. Matter of fact, if you look through his trial, I, I just preached through the Gospel of Matthew. You can go online and, and look at, at my series of sermons on the cross and on his trial. How over and over again, he was declared innocent. So you have this perfect man, the first in all of human history. Understand this, this is all of God's sovereignty. What's taking place that day on the cross 2,000 years ago, it, it was, was talked about in Genesis chapter 3. He goes to the cross, the Son. God the Father places upon Him our sin, our guilt. That's when the Father judged Him in your place. God just can't say, it's okay, just come on in, it's all right. I forgive you. The three primary attributes of God in His Word, right here, there's three. He is holy, that's the first one, mentioned more than any other. Second, he is just. Third, he is love. Something had to meet the requirement of holiness, satisfy justice, so that he could demonstrate how much love he had for us. His perfect life fulfilled holiness. The cross would satisfy Justice. God, He is just. He's not going to change that. It's who He is. Justice had to be met. But what He said through His love and through His grace is, I'll send my Son and I will judge Him in your place. I'll put your sin, your transgressions, I, I will, just like the Bible tells us, they quoted in the play, how they laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He put on Christ our sin and he judged him for it. Now listen to me. Jesus wasn't just a man as I started off with. He was also God. Hell did not hold him. After three days and three nights he defeated death and rose again from the dead. If God judges you and you are in hell, you're not God. You will not defeat it you are there. That's a reality. God, why do you think God's willing to go to such extremes to save you? To provide a means of love, of grace? Something, he put something in place that all men could do. 
It didn't matter if you were, if you had education or no education. It didn't matter if you were wealthy or poor. He placed upon him the iniquity of us all. He made him to be sin for us. The Father judged him in your place. Now, the other part of that verse said this, and he has given us his righteousness. When he took your sin, there's another, transgress- another transaction with it. He gives you his righteousness. Let me kind of finish with this illustration here. Let's say you're standing before God in his judgment day. Revelation chapter 20 deals with this. It says books are going to be opened. So all those books don't have your name on it. It's going to have recorded every time you've broken God's law. It's there. And you've broken it a lot, just like I have. It's all there. Here's the charges against you, and you're guilty, and you're standing for an all-knowing judge. There's no spinning it. There's no lying. There's no tricking. There's no bribing. It's there. Now let's stay over here. We have Jesus Christ's name up top and all of his perfection. He's perfect. There's no sin here. No transgressions. So you have your name and your sin, Christ's name and his righteousness. When I tell you and, and, and what the word of God says that Christ died for you, what I mean is this. This is what that verse means. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. When I say that Christ died for you, you can take your name and remove it. Place it over here. Remove Christ's name and place it over here. So if we do that, what just happened? You now have the Son of God over here. Underneath his name is all of your transgressions. And he was judged in your place to satisfy justice. Over here is your name. It is here because of love and grace. Here's your name. There's no sin. Perfection. Righteousness. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the question is this. How do we switch the names? There's, Jesus Christ said this. He talked about how few there be that find it. Talking about this very truth. He knew many would put their trust in the church. Well, if I go to church, I'll be all right. If I turn over a new leaf, I'll be all right. If I just get baptized, I'll be all right. No, it's none of those things. The Bible describes two key words, really from Genesis to Revelation, repentance and faith. You see, salvation is in Christ alone. Jesus said these words. Many of you have probably heard them before. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He's it. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the way. Let me, let me close with an example in the Bible of how a man repented and placed his faith in Christ so you can see it as clearly as I can present it to you. Because it is simple. When Jesus died on the cross, there were two men that died with him, if you know the story. Two thieves who were also sentenced to, uh, had a death sentence. All three were crucified at the same time. Crucifixion was a horrible way to die. It would take many, many hours, many times, sometimes into days. And so the, the three are, are crucified. 
all three realized we are hours away from death. The one thief speaks up and says, if thou be the Christ, get us down from here. Christ never responds to that man. says nothing. The other thief speaks up when he hears those words. He told him, so listen, you need, you, need to be, you need to shut up. We deserve to be here. This man has done nothing wrong. Christ doesn't respond to him yet. But at the next moment, this man is going to repent and place his faith in Christ alone. He says, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. The Lord turned to him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Saved just like that. What did he do? He placed his faith for his... Notice, he never asked him down from the cross. So many people come to God just asking save from a circumstance. What was he afraid of? Judgment. He knew how guilty he was. He's dying. He placed his faith in the only one who could help him, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. Christ did die for you. He took your place. This is why Christmas gives us hope. It's why we need it. Without it, we have no hope. But the day happened. He did send forth His Son. He did live the perfect life for you. He did go to the cross and take your place in judgment so that He could give you His perfect righteousness, which if you just come to Him in repentance and faith, He will save you. With heads bowed and eyes closed.